Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book, movie, compare and contrast podcast. I'm the supportiest of badgers, Carly, and here's the bravest of lions, Ellen. That's me. <laughs> Let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the barely corresponding film scenes. The book takes us on a detailed run through the Department of Mysteries, while the movies forget that there's anything else to the department other than the dais room and the Hall of Prophecies. Voldy shows up in a mic drop moment in the book, after Harry attempts to attack Bellatrix. In the movie... Dumbledore shows up in his own mic drop moment and the duel of Voldy and Dumbly starts. In both movie and book, after the fight ceases a bit, Voldemort gets to Harry, but once the minister and Aurors show up, he dips like a salsa dancer. Both book and movie end with the wizarding world knowing Harry and Dumbledore were right all along. During episode 185, mic drop moment, our Potter pondering was, how do you feel about the movie leaving out the dueling conversation between Dumbledore and Voldemort? G'day guys, Jackson here, calling in the pot of pondering for this week. What do I think about the movie leaving out Dumbledore and Voldemort's conversation? Uh, you know, I really am going to lose count how many times I say this, I hate that this was left out. I mean, yes, the first bit of the conversation in the movie was awesome. The whole, you should not have come here tonight, Tom. The auras are on their way. By which time I shall be gone and you shall be dead. I mean, that was awesome. Why the hell couldn't we have continued it? It was like 20 extra seconds. Oh, but whatever. It's whatever. Hi, this is Jessica calling in. Of course, I think it's silly they changed it. God forbid they have dialogue. I love that in the book, Harry thought Dumbledore looked as if he was having a stroll because he was so calm and collected. I loved that Voldemort was trying to fight to the death whilst they were having an almost casual conversation. It just shows how truly powerful they are. I think it added so much to the scene and so much depth to who they are and their relationship. We were gypped. Hi everyone, it's Max, and I'd just like to say that any time Rafe Fiennes or Michael Gambon aren't speaking, it's essentially a crime, and I think David Yates should be very ashamed of himself. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, which order member does Dumbledore say needs to spend more time at St. Mungo's? And the answer to that is Nymphadora Tonks. Congratulations goes to... Kalista White Wolf. Yay! We are still having issues with Podbean posting to Facebook, but we manually posted the episode, and Kalista was the first one to answer it, both on Podbean and Facebook. Mike did send us a message to let us know that the episode wasn't showing up on his Podbean app, so he gets an honorable mention for being ready to answer despite experiencing his own technical difficulties. Will things be good for him this week? Will Kalista be starting up a new streak? 
Will Jackson be back? You never know. Now let's move into the summaries of the book and movie sections covering the first half of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the slightly corresponding film scenes. Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, Part 1. Harry lands in Dumbledore's office just before dawn and notices that everything seems to have repaired itself since Dumbledore's escape. All the portraits of the former headmasters and headmistresses are snoozing in their frames. He finds the silence unbearable and walks around the office trying not to think, but failing and repeatedly thinking about how it was all his fault that Sirius is dead, since he had been so stupid to fall for Voldemort's trick. He feels hollow and doesn't want to be alone with that feeling. He hears a loud grunting snore from a picture behind him and Phineas Nigellus addresses him by his full name, wondering what brings him there so early in the morning when the office is supposed to be barred to all but the rightful headmaster. He then wonders if Dumbledore sent him there with another message for his worthless great-grandson. Harry can't bring himself to tell Phineas Nigellus that Sirius is dead, and as more portraits begin to wake, he tries to leave to avoid being interrogated. The doorknob won't turn no matter how much he tugs on it. Another portrait asks if this means Dumbledore is returning, and Harry turns to him and nods before trying the door again. The wizard settles back into his portrait, pleased Dumbledore will be back, and informs Harry that the headmaster thinks very highly of him. This only makes Harry feel even more guilty and wish that he could be anyone but himself. Then the fireplace bursts into emerald green flames and Dumbledore unfolds himself and emerges from them. The rest of the portraits wake up and they all greet him with applause. Dumbledore thanks them and withdraws the newly reborn fox from his robes to place him on the ashes beneath his golden post. He then turns from the baby bird and tells Harry that he will be pleased to know that none of his fellow students will experience lasting damage from the night's events. Harry wants to say good but can't make a sound since it just feels like Dumbledore is reminding him of the damage he caused that night. Though he is for once looking right at him with a kindly expression, Harry can't bear to meet his eyes. Dumbledore continues telling him that Madame Pomfrey is patching them all up now and also mentions that Nymphadora Tonks may need to spend some more time in St. Mungo's but will make a full recovery. Harry merely nods at the carpet, aware that the portraits are all listening in, trying to figure out where they had been and why there had been injuries. Dumbledore then tells Harry that he knows how he's feeling, but Harry angrily insists that he doesn't. Phineas Nigellus speaks up to point out how students hate being understood, but Dumbledore cuts him off. Harry turns his back on the headmaster to stare out the window at the Quidditch pitch, where Sirius once appeared as the shaggy dog to watch him play. Dumbledore continues talking to Harry, telling him that there's no shame in his feelings. They are actually his greatest strength. This just angers Harry as he questions these words, telling the headmaster that he doesn't have a clue. Dumbledore calmly asks what he doesn't know, and Harry turns around, shaking with rage, and insists that he doesn't want to talk about how he feels. When Dumbledore tells him that suffering is part of being human, Harry screams that he doesn't want to be human, and starts throwing Dumbledore's magical instruments across the room, as he continues to yell that he doesn't care and has had enough. He then picks up the table that had been holding the instruments 
and throws that too. Dumbledore doesn't flinch, but almost detachedly tells Harry that he does care, so much that he feels like he will bleed to death with the pain of it. Harry bellows that he doesn't, and Dumbledore again calmly tells him that he does, since he has lost his mother, father, and now the closest thing to a parent he has ever known. Harry doesn't want to hear this and continues to insist that the headmaster does not know how he feels. He can't come up with the words and instead runs to the door and attempts to leave. When it won't open, he turns back to Dumbledore and demands to be let out. Dumbledore simply refuses and they stare at each other. Harry repeats himself and Dumbledore again says no, inviting Harry to continue destroying his possessions and telling him that he won't let him out until he has had his say. Harry yells that he doesn't care what he's got to say, but Dumbledore insists that he will, because he isn't nearly as angry with him as he ought to be. He then takes the majority of the blame for Sirius's death, explaining that even though Sirius was brave, clever, and energetic, and would never be content to stay at home, Harry should never have had to believe that there was ever any need to go to the Department of Mysteries. He tells him that if he had been open with him, he would have already known that Voldemort would try to lure him there and wouldn't have been tricked into going, and Sirius would not have had to go after him. Harry is still holding the doorknob but gazing at Dumbledore as he takes in words he can barely understand. The headmaster asks him to sit down, and Harry hesitates, but then makes his way across the office, which is now littered with broken objects. Phineas Nigellus doesn't believe that his great-great-grandson is dead and leaves his portrait to visit the one at Grimmauld Place. Dumbledore tells Harry that he owes him an explanation of an old man's mistake, and as the sun begins to rise, he informs Harry that 15 years previous, he guessed that the scar on his forehead might be the sign of a connection between him and Voldemort. Harry reminds Dumbledore that he has already told him this, and the headmaster apologizes and says that it's important to start with the scar. Shortly after Harry rejoined the magical world, it became apparent that his scar gives him warnings, either when Voldemort is close or feeling powerful emotions. These warnings became more pronounced the more powerful the Dark Wizard got, and Dumbledore started to become concerned that Voldemort himself would realize the connection was there. This did come true the night Harry witnessed the attack on Mr. Weasley. Harry again reminds Dumbledore that he knows this since Snape told him. Dumbledore quietly prompts Harry to say Professor Snape, but continues his explanation, asking if Harry ever wondered why he delegated teaching occlumency and didn't explain himself or why he hadn't looked at him in months. This catches Harry's attention and he looks up at him and mutters that he had wondered. Dumbledore discloses that he knew it was only a matter of time before Voldemort tried to use that connection to manipulate Harry or misdirect his thoughts, and he did not want to give him more incentives to do so. He was sure that if he knew their relationship had ever been more than that of headmaster and pupil, he would use Harry to spy on him and notice signs of it on the rare occasions they did have close contact. Harry remembers feeling the dormant snake rise inside him, as Dumbledore points out that Voldemort showed, when he possessed Harry just a short while ago, that he hoped Dumbledore would sacrifice Harry in order to kill him. As Dumbledore sighs, Harry takes in everything he had said. 
It all would have been so interesting months ago, but now feels meaningless compared to the vast hole left behind by the loss of Sirius. The movie section starts out with a shot of Hogwarts Castle before transitioning to Harry, packing up his belongings in his dormitory. He soberly folds up a piece of clothing and places it in his trunk before closing it and sitting in silence on the edge of his bed. The scene cuts to Dumbledore's office where Harry is sitting across from the headmaster. When Dumbledore tells him that he knows how he feels, Harry looks down at his entwined hands and tells him that he doesn't know, before looking up and saying that it's his fault. Dumbledore contradicts him and takes the blame himself, saying he knew it was only a matter of time before Voldemort made the connection between them. He explains that he distanced himself from Harry this past year to minimize the temptation and therefore possibly be more protected. Harry takes in this information, then changes the subject to the prophecy, sharing that it said that neither can live while the other survives, and says that it means one of them will have to kill the other in the end. Dumbledore confirms this, and Harry wants to know why he didn't tell him. The headmaster explains that it was because of the same reason Harry tried to save Sirius and his friends tried to save him. After all the years and all he has suffered, he didn't want to cause him any more pain because he cared too much about him. I can't get over how much they watered this down. Yeah, they definitely just take a whole big plot point and just are like, here's a drip for you and a drip for you. Yeah, this is the entire movie section. And only half of the chapter. It's not even a whole half of the chapter. Yeah. It's maybe like a little over a third of the chapter. And there are no more movie scenes for the rest of this chapter. Now, granted, there is a sentence in this movie scene that kind of touches base with the second <laughs> half of this chapter, the second two thirds of this chapter. What? Yeah. It also starts off differently. It does. Yeah. Because in the book, it's picking up right from... Harry leaving the Ministry of Magic and arriving in Dumbledore's office. I was thinking it's kind of weird that they just show Harry like kind of sitting in his room. I know it's supposed to be him thinking about Sirius, but it's kind of strange. Like they don't really give any rhyme or re It's not like he's looking at the mirror that Sirius gave him or anything like that. He's literally folding a piece of clothing and sitting there on his bed, sadly. Yeah, why couldn't they have had Harry... Sitting in Dumbledore's office, looking sad and thinking about Sirius, and then have Dumbledore appear, and then they have this conversation, and maybe a little bit more of this conversation. That transition scene where he was in the dorm instead of just in the office was unnecessary. But like I said, in the book, he goes straight to Dumbledore's office. His first inclination is to leave. He does make note of the fact that all of the magical objects and stuff around Dumbledore's office that got destroyed when he fled are repaired and it looks back in order. And then at this point, all of the portraits are snoozing. It's because Dumbledore didn't really actually go anywhere and he stayed and fixed everything. He was totally in his office the whole time. I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> it just sealed itself off so they couldn't get in there and find him. That's amazing. Yes. New headcanon. Absolutely. But when he goes to the door to try and get out, there's a loud snore from one of the pictures behind him, and it turns out to be Phineas Nigellus, which we barely got to hear a voice of in the movie at one point, I think. 
I think there was a portrait that talked at one point and you could assume it was Phineas Nigelis. No, it was the one that found Arthur. So oh, it's not yeah, him. it wasn't even him. So, no. yeah, well, we got bilked out of that, too. Them leaving out Phineas is a disgrace. Especially since he kind of plays a role later on, too. He does. He plays a huge role later on. And he is a huge role in Hogwarts Legacy. He's the headmaster in Hogwarts Legacy. Oh, yeah. Man, I haven't gotten to play that game much yet. I'm going to now that Len bought his Steam Deck. Yes. Because the only reason why I haven't played it is I don't want to sit upstairs where the cats aren't allowed for hours on end and have them sit down at the bottom of the stairs and cry the (laughs) whole time because I can't pay attention to them, too. But now it's on the Steam Deck and I can play on our TV. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding time to do that, too, because I don't want it to take away from this. Speaking of this, as I was saying, Phineas Nigelis is like, Harry Potter, what brings you here so early in the morning? Because at this point, it's nearly dawn. And he makes a comment about how the office is supposed to be barred to all but the rightful headmaster, which, as we know, is and always was Dumbledore. I think that that's funny that he says that, though, because... He doesn't particularly seem to like Dumbledore, but he still acknowledges that he is indeed that he has style. The right headmaster. He is the one that says that, right? Kingsley. In the book. Yeah, yep. Kingsley. They gave it to Kingsley that. in the movie, but it was Phineas Nigelis in the book. I like Kingsley saying it. I'm not. Gonna I lie. did. Oh, the way he says it too. But Phineas Nigelis's next thought is that maybe Dumbledore sent him there with another message to pass along to his worthless great grandson. Which makes Harry realize that Phineas Nigelis doesn't know, and why would he? he, But he has no desire to tell him. So he just tries to leave because the other portraits are now waking up, and he doesn't want to be interrogated, understandably. Understandably. Like I said, doorknob won't turn no matter how hard he tries. He is stuck in there. And sure enough, the interrogation starts, but it's not as bad as it could have been because the first question is, does this mean Dumbledore's coming back? Harry actually does turn and just nods at him because he's still just not feeling like talking. And the wizard in the portrait is very happy to hear this and tells Harry that the headmaster thinks very highly of him. And this is the wrong thing to say to Harry in this moment because all he can think about how this is all his fault. Sirius is dead because of him and he really wishes that he could be anyone else but himself in this moment. I think that that is really telling, though, of how much Dumbledore... Yes, he manipulated Harry in the situation, but I think that it's really telling that even the portraits in Dumbledore's study know how much he cares about Harry. Yeah. Speaking of Dumbledore, in this moment, the green flames appear and not like it was in the ministry, in a mic drop appearance, he appears in his own office. The very first thing that he does is put baby Fox in the ashes underneath his little perch. Okay. So Dumbledores all have a phoenix. That's the deal. One, Aberforth doesn't have a phoenix, which makes me mad. Two, well, maybe he does. I don't know. But he has a goat. He has a goat. (laughs) And a questionable relationship with the goat. Um, But... When did, is this Dumbledore's, like, father's phoenix? Because, obviously, do phoenixes actually at some point die? Or, I'm very intrigued at Fox. I'm is curious. Is this the same phoenix that we saw it's in not. Fantastic Beasts? No, I, it's not Fox. There's no way. I'm, I'm saying no, because Grindelwald, I feel like Dumbledore, Albus, would have already had access to 
he would already have Fox at that point, whether he's using him or not in the correct way. I don't think that that one that they give to Aurelius is actually Fox. I had the thought. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, maybe never it is. know because Boo series got canceled. Well, we can theorize about it because maybe it is now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe Albus took it because Aberforth didn't want it. Yeah. Oh, that made me sad. <laughs> we'll never know because they canceled the series. That's such a bummer to me. Maybe they'll I really TV enjoy series them. it. Maybe. Anyway, all of the portraits are clapping for him when he first appears, but his focus is the baby bird. He does thank them, but then baby bird. <laughs> and he turns to Harry and says that he'll be happy to know that none of his friends are going to be experiencing any lasting damage from the night's events. How did they get out of the ministry? I'm sure like Dumbledore may have made them port keys or the order members might have taken them. Yeah. Regardless, they end up in the hospital wing because Madame Pomfrey is patching them up. That's right. Poor Ron. Part of Harry feels like this is good news, but at the same time, it also feels like Dumbledore's reminding him that they're all injured and it's his fault. But that's really not what he's doing. No, it's not because he's actually making eye contact with him. He's actually looking at him for once in this entire book and he's looking at him with a kindly expression. It's not judgmental at all. He's just like, hey, everything is going to be okay. I think in that moment, Dumbledore realizes that Harry is still having those loving feelings and he is definitely not turning into more Voldemort-esque. That's basically exactly what he says here. He also first mentions that Nymphadora Tonks is going to need more time in St. Mungo's. That was our trivia question. It sure was. But he does make it a point to say she's going to make a full recovery. So with the exception of Sirius, no lasting damage. This doesn't really comfort Harry since the whole thing with Sirius did happen. That made me sad. (laughs) Yeah. And all he can really do is kind of nod. And he's very aware that all of the portraits are listening in having no idea where they had been and why there were injuries and are definitely hoping to find this out. At this point, Dumbledore tells Harry that he knows how he's feeling. Which he does say in the movie, yes. Yeah, we'll get to that. It didn't line up very well, so we're going to talk about the movie a little bit more towards the end of this. Of course it didn't. It's like the drop in the bucket, though, like you were saying. It was just the drop of this line happened, and Harry says, no, he doesn't. And then, of course, you have... Phineas Nigellus in the background being that like awful teacher of the see this is why this is what I've been saying Dumbledore students don't like it when you try to understand them okay boomer I feel like that's kind of what Dumbledore says because he does just cut him off and Harry is so over any kind of conversation he doesn't want anything to do with it so he just turns his back on Dumbledore and he's looking out the window he can see the Quidditch pitch and all he can think about is how Sirius once disguised himself as his animagus shaggy dog so that he could watch him play Quidditch and see if he was good as his dad and then it made Harry wonder because he never asked was he and it's just like the shit that goes through your head when you're experiencing grief it's Always funny to me that Harry has these moments where he's like, well, I can't ask anybody about my dad anymore. Hello. Hello. Remus is still alive. Right. Dumbledore knows that the best thing for Harry in this moment is to actually talk about it. 
So he keeps trying to talk to him, tells him there's no shame in his feelings. They're actually his greatest strength. So this is what you were saying. Dumbledore sees that Harry is not turning all voldy, unfeeling, hateful, evil, murdery type. I feel like the movie tried to nod at this when he was talking to Harry when he's on the ground. A little bit, yeah. He's saying it's not how you're alike, it's how you're different. And that's a really important thing for Harry to understand. And I think that Harry doesn't understand that until after Dumbledore is gone, that there's all these similarities between him and Voldemort. But the really important thing is how Harry has made different choices that have made him a better person. Exactly. And it is a throwback to the second book and movie when Harry points out that Riddle pointed out all of the similarities between yes. them. Yeah. And I think he says that then too. That it's, it's not how you're alike, it's how you're different. But Harry doesn't want to hear this. It just makes him angry because he's caps lock Harry. He gets super caps lock Harry in this moment actually. This is the Harry caps lock moment. Oh my god, if you could double caps lock something, this is where we hit at this point. It's justified, though. I think so, too. This is such a horrible moment. But his response is that Dumbledore doesn't have a clue. And Dumbledore just calmly says, what don't I know? I think the big, big thing here that Harry doesn't say is, one, he has not dealt with Cedric's death. No. Nobody has helped him get over that. Like, he tried to talk to Cho about it. But I mean, Cho he doesn't did say know. he talked to Hermione and Ron about it. But they're... Other 15 year olds, so they're not yeah. really good at therapy working on your emotions. Like, if you had talked to Dumbledore about this, there is definitely you're sad about Sirius dying. Like, I'm not gonna deny that, but there's also some underlying things like where you have not dealt with your classmate that you watched die. Yeah, because all he really got conversation wise with Dumbledore was telling him what happened, exactly. Yeah. And then he had to go be by himself for a whole summer. There's just so much trauma. And he says that. He says, I told everybody that Voldemort came back. And then I spent a summer by myself. His friends weren't answering his letters. His godfather wasn't answering his... Well, they were answering, but they were half-hearted answers, which almost makes it worse. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it was just... There was so much bottled up within Harry and this is the moment in the book where it really explodes explodes. and the movie did not give us that but Dumbledore wants to know what it is that Harry thinks he doesn't know and Harry does actually turn around and look at him at this point but says that he doesn't want to talk about how he feels which is a pretty normal reaction to some I mean this happened what three four hours ago not even yeah half hour it's not been long so and Dumbledore, again, speaking calmly, trying to be reassuring, tells him that suffering is part of being human. And like we said, explosion. Harry just screams that then he doesn't want to be human. And he starts throwing Dumbledore shit all around the office. Like this is just full blown, understandable, but massive meltdown. To be fair... I bet even when he was a toddler, he was not allowed to do things like this. So his emotional... This is like 15 years coming. Yeah, it's like his emotional range. Like he hasn't had any time to deal with how do I figure out my anger? How do I... 
process my anger? How do I work with myself to do things that are better for me? You know, he doesn't have How any do of I that. cope with my anger? Exactly. Yeah. And they don't really, nobody really talks about that in, in these books. Like they're not, nobody's talking about that. There, as a teacher, there are basic needs that need to be met for a child for them to reach the top of their game, their best lives. Yeah. And to thrive. Yes. And Harry's emotional needs were not met from day one. Well, not well, from day one. From day one of being with the Dursleys. Yes. <laughs> so. And it did get better once he had friends and surrogate parent figures. But that was 10 years. Yeah, it was a long time into it. So I think it's perfectly understandable that he has snapped the way he has at this point, given this everything that's happened to definitely him. Definitely normal. And Dumbledore obviously isn't phased by it either. He doesn't even flinch that Harry's throwing things. Harry picks up the table that had been holding all of Dumbledore's instruments and throws and shatters the table. Like this is a meltdown and Dumbledore's just like, yeah, okay, go for it. At least he didn't shatter the pinsy. <laughs> There's that. He does almost detachedly which is a word that i had used last week the way that dumbledore talks he's calm he's understanding he's almost detached like he's not an aggressively emotional person that's because he already knows everything that's gonna happen there's that because he's dumbledore right but he tells harry that he does care he says, you care so much, you feel like you will bleed to death with the pain of it. And Harry's too upset to realize in this moment that Dumbledore might have some very similar emotions to things Harry has experienced. So why in this moment does Dumbledore not feel the need to share his life experiences with Harry? Because it's not about him. It's important to share life experiences with people so that they understand that you have a frame of reference because right now Harry's yeah. like shut up you haven't been through this well Harry well, but it's also Harry is not in a receptive place to hear that right now I agree he should have shared it with him probably prior to this even definitely but this still was not quite that moment so he just kind of calmly tells Harry that you do care You've lost your mother, your father, and now the closest thing to a parent that you've ever known. Again, he's choosing a much different path than Voldemort chose, which yeah. I think is really important. That's a big deal. Like, Voldemort could have had the similar path of Harry, but he chose the wrong one. And I think that is what Dumbledore is trying to impress on Harry, but he just doesn't want to hear it. Understandably so. 30 minutes after his only parent figure has, well, not his only, but, you know, he thinks his only parent figure has died. Yeah. And he tries to leave. Doorknob still won't turn. So he looks back at Dumbledore and says, let me out. Dumbledore just says no. And they have a little bit of a face off. So Harry's just like, let me out. And Dumbledore again just says no. And Harry literally says, let me out or, and Dumbledore's like, by all means, continue destroying my possessions. I dare say I have too many. He also specifically says, I'm not letting you out until I've had my say. Harry yells that he doesn't care about anything he's got to say. And Dumbledore, again, calmly insists that he will care because Harry is not nearly angry enough with him as he should be. 
I think Dumbledore is having a parallel moment here of conversations he should have had with Tom. Possibly. Maybe his brother, too. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Harry still doesn't say anything, so Dumbledore just keeps going. And he takes the majority of the blame for Sirius's death. He starts to say it's his fault. And then he says, well, it's not all my fault. I'm not so arrogant as to assume that Sirius being as brave and clever and energetic as he was, who would never be content to stay at home, I'm not going to take away his own choices from him. But he has Harry's attention now as he continues to say, you never should have had to believe that there was any need to go to the Department of Mysteries. I should have been open with you from the get-go. You should have known that Voldemort was going to try to lure you there and therefore never have been tricked into this and then Sirius would not have had to go after you. I think this is a Dumbledore downfall in that he spends so much time worrying about protecting Harry that he does not give him the appropriate preparation preparation to do what he needs to do. Absolutely. I think this is, and he even says it himself, this is, this is where he messed up. And I think he says it even more in the second half of this chapter, but he's really just like, I am the one that screwed up here. I am the one that did not properly prepare you for this. And as a result, Sirius is dead. This is not on you. And Harry's actually still holding onto the doorknob, but he is looking at Dumbledore now and listening, but not fully comprehending. It's just like a, uh, uh, like that's where Harry is right now, but he's calmer. So Dumbledore asks him to sit down and he kind of hesitates, but does make his way across all of the broken objects in the classroom and takes a seat. At this point, Phineas Nigellus is like, wait a minute. Are you saying that my great great grandson is dead? Dumbledore's just like, sorry. Yes, that is the case. And he's like, I don't believe you and just leaves. Is he legitimately sad? In the sense that this was literally the last person alive at his family. There are no male members of the Black family left. Yeah. This is the end of the Black family line in the sense that it has died out in name. Yeah. And that is something that is pointed out in the seventh book that a lot of the the names have died out. Mm -hmm. uh, the original wizarding families and most of those families have died out in the male line. Yes. That is exactly what happened. And I do think that impacted Phineas Nigellus Black. Yeah. Because now his name will not be carried on. He's Sirius's dad's grandfather then. Must be, yes. Yes. That's disappointing. Right? Yeah. But he disappears from his portrait and Harry finds himself figuring that he must have gone to his other portrait at Grimmauld Place to go from picture to picture and call out his name and try and find him. That kind of makes me sad. Yeah. I don't really particularly care for Phineas Nigellus, but... Losing a member of your family regardless yeah. is hard. And that hard. could also be Harry projecting a little bit because of how he feels. I wouldn't put it past him, though. But exactly. Dumbledore is not really paying attention to any of this and just continues talking to Harry, saying that he owes him an explanation. And he says it is an explanation of an old man's mistakes. So he does flat out say he fucked up here. And at this point, the sun starts rising because it's literally dawn and this was a really long fucking night. But he tells Harry that 
15 years ago when he saw baby Harry with that scar, not a scar then, a cut on his head, he suspected then that it was a sign of there being a connection between Harry and Voldemort. And then Harry's over there like, yeah, you've already told me this. Come on. Dumbledore apologizes and explains that it's important to start with the scar. Pointing out that not long after Harry got to rejoin the magical world, it became obvious really fast that that scar was giving him warnings, either of Voldemort's presence, actual presence, or just his powerful emotions. And that that became more pronounced when Voldemort actually came back. Harry's still sitting there like, yeah, I know all of this. But Dumbledore just keeps going saying, I started to worry that Voldemort would eventually realize this connection was there. And that's exactly what did happen the night that Harry saw Mr. Weasley get attacked by the snake. Harry's like, yes, I know. Snape told me. And Dumbledore does say, Professor Snape. But did you ever wonder why I had him teach you occlumency? Why I wasn't the one who explained this to you? Why I wouldn't even look at you for months? And Harry's just like, well, yeah, I kind of did wonder that. <laughs> he's like, oh, finally, I'm going to get some answers that I didn't know. And I feel like he's being a little bit sullen about he's it. He's such because, a little turd sometimes. To be fair, he has a lot to be upset about. So Dumbledore tells him, that he was worried if Voldemort knew about that connection, he'd use it to manipulate Harry or misdirect his thoughts and didn't want to give him any kind of motivation to do that even more so. And he thought that if Voldemort ever knew that Dumbledore cared about Harry, that they had more than just a mere headmaster-pupil relationship, that he would try to use Harry to get to Dumbledore, which is essentially what did happen. And he does point out that he noticed some signs of it the few times that year they had close contact, which makes Harry remember how he felt like that snake rose up in him and wanted to attack Dumbledore. So he's starting to get new information now, and it seems right. He's like, okay, this is accurate. And Dumbledore just kind of sighs, and Harry processes everything that he's just heard. And can't help but think that this would have been really interesting if he had heard it months ago but now it's just kind of meaningless compared to feeling like everything is gone because Sirius is gone which is so sad yeah but we don't get all of that sadness in the movie because the vast majority of that didn't happen in the movie we instead get an extreme lined version that even starts out completely differently. Yeah, like we were saying. With him in his room, with him in the dorm, that's, I mean, okay. Harry. It was unnecessary. It's just Harry's packing up for the summer. He's sad. We see him close his trunk. Big plot hole for me that is an issue is this could be a point when Harry is using that mirror that Sirius gives him that we don't hear about until the seventh one and then they don't even say where harry got it harry just has a random piece of mirror that he's like looking at did they include it in the seventh movie it's been so long since i watched it now so they really included it without ever prompting it up correct (laughs) oh we're gonna have such a field day when we get there but this could have been that moment this could have been him looking at it with like a note that said 
too hairy from serious and happy I absolutely Christmas. would not have felt like this was pointless yeah absolutely correct to have him sitting looking all forlorn in his dorm at his little mirror that he could talk if to he his... had the mirror yeah uh, and he does try to do that um, in the book chapter in the book chapter he does I don't think it happened, but it never happens in the movie. Yeah. So we'll talk about it when we get to it happening in the book. We'll talk a little bit more. But we see him close his trunk and he sits on his bed in silence. So uh, cue the emo music. <laughs> yeah. But then we enter Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore and Harry have this. I said heart to heart, but honestly, it's not really a heart to heart. It's barely a conversation, let alone it's... a heart to heart. It's uh, words being exchanged basically about what happened at the ministry and and Dumbledore ever the mystery is telling Harry that he knows how he feels and I assume that they're talking about loss so yes Dumbledore does know how he feels but doesn't give Harry any real inclination that he knows how he feels because all Harry knows is that Dumbledore has lived this wonderful mysterious life just him yeah in his mind, Dumbledore's this badass wizard that's super successful. No family attached. Doesn't know. He doesn't know. And it is a ding to the book section. Yes. He literally says, I know how you feel. And Harry's just like, no, you don't. It's exactly what is said. But then everything else is missing. So in the end, it means nothing in the movie. Yeah. I mean, but we... <laughs> We know Harry and we know he knows best. So he quickly does tell Dumbledore in the movie that he doesn't know how he feels. And Harry continues to stare at his hands and says that it's his fault that Sirius is dead. Which he does feel that way in the book. Yes, he does. He doesn't specifically say that to Dumbledore. This is really a streamlined version of it's so, what happens. So They hit on so. important things, but they leave out important things. It's just like they picked and chose what were the best things and that's not really how it needed to be were they really the best things because they were like barely there what they thought were the best things what <clears throat> could get the gist across that's what all this did it got the gist across, the gist across. but it didn't explain anything or show any kind of connections between the two or explain anything i'm astounded at people that have only watched the movies and understand the main storyline because they leave so much out. My favorite thing to do is watch the movies with people who haven't read the books because inevitably they have so many questions and then who I get are to the answer marauders? them all. What is this? What's yes. going on? Yeah. It's my favorite, especially when you get to the sixth movie. Yeah. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Horcruxes, huh? No, we'll talk more about that then, obviously. Yeah. No, I. it is amazing. That they How leave people so much out, but get so much across? I can form the same connection, even. Like, the movies are magical, without a doubt. Yeah. I will watch them, so and out. I will love them. But having read the books as many times as I have, and knowing what's not there, like, how do you form the same kind of attachment? I don't know if you can. Do they think they do? I don't know. Hmm. Well, but this is nothing compared no. to what we actually get. You don't get the emotion behind it. You get Harry being upset, but you also get Dumbledore quickly taking that blame and being like, no, it's my fault. Which is, again, a ding. Yeah, but it he is. never explains why it's his fault because this doesn't explain it. No, I mean, he says that he knew there was a connection between them, Voldemort and Harry, that is. 
But instead of assisting Harry this year, he thought the best solution was to just quarantine him away. So. (laughs) But he thought the best solution was to keep Harry away to reduce the temptation for Voldemort to enter Dumbledore's mind. Or that's what it sounds like in the movie. And yeesh, it ain't always about you, Albie boy. I roll. Yeah, and that is a disservice that the movie did, I think, because this was this a makes... very small portion mm-hmm. of what the explanation was in the book. But this makes Dumbledore sound really self-centered and like Voldemort is coming after Harry to get to Dumbledore. And that's not it. It might be part of it, but it's not it. It might be part of it, but it kind of misinterprets it from the book because A, Dumbledore is taking the blame because he didn't give Harry information to let him make informed decisions. That is why it's his fault. It has nothing to do with Dumbledore being afraid that Voldemort was going to try and get in his mind. What we know from the conversation in the book is that Dumbledore flat out pointed out that Voldemort showed his hand when he tried to possess Harry or did possess Harry back at the ministry. He tried to use Harry to get Dumbledore to kill him to take him out. It was not about Dumbledore. It was about getting Dumbledore to kill Harry. Yes, which Voldemort wants weird, stupid baby revenge on Dumbledore for knowing all of the shit that Dumbledore knows. Making him kill his favorite student would be a good way to do it. Making him kill anybody. Correct. Considering his own views. Yeah. Well, we'd still don't know. It might have been him that killed Ariana. But you never know. Nobody really knows. But, you know, the movie does let Harry inquire about this prophecy. He just moves on from whatever Dumbledore is talking about, pulling the blame on himself. He doesn't seem to give a crap why Dumbledore ignored him this year, which is weird because in the book he does. But, you know, can't always be the same. I mean, the movie does show us that he cared because he was like running after him, trying to get his attention and then just stands there all dejectedly. By the pendulum. Like, yeah. He doesn't care in this point. But no, they don't address it at all. So why bring it up? If you're not going to actually include a conclusion to something that was happening the entire book, he wouldn't make eye contact with him at the hearing. He ran away from him multiple times in school. Like now you're finally bringing up the fact that you were staying away from him to reduce Voldemort's temptation. And it's just, okay, whatevs. And you change the subject? Like, no, there should have been a real conversation in there. Yeah, yeah. Or at the very least, addressing the fact that Harry can't process all of this because he would have liked to know this yesterday. Correct. And honestly, if Dumbledore had said it to him yesterday, none of this sadness would have happened. Absolutely. And I think that's what book Dumbledore was kind of trying to say yeah and they have the tie-in of understanding the prophecy which is important and is a really big plot point understanding Harry asks if the prophecy meant that one of them will have to kill the other and let me tell you 
when I initially read this book, I didn't get that at all. <laughs> Neither can live while the other survive. Granted, I was like 12, but I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> what? But I get it now. So he asks, he's like, does that mean that one of us has to kill the other? And Dumbledore says yes. And Harry is confused as usual because he is not a Ravenclaw. But he's confused as to why he's just now getting this information. And I said, plot points, my boy. Plot yes. Points. And this sentence right here, or sen- two or three sentences right here, actually would have probably fit better into the second half of this chapter. But it seemed silly to just have you do three sentences as the summary, especially since I think the conclusion for this kind of starts to go back to whatever. It just... It doesn't line up very well because of how much they left out. So I figured we'd just go through all of this and then just focus on the book chapter and what wasn't included. Because even the way they talk about the prophecy was in so much more detail in the second half of this book chapter. But it's also completely different because Harry has not heard the prophecy yet in the book. No, he hasn't because he couldn't hear it when they were in the Department of Mysteries. It didn't start autoplaying when he picked it up in the book. (laughs) No, it didn't. And then when it got destroyed and it did make noise. Why do you make prophecies out of such breakable materials? Magic. (laughs) So in my mind, this did not do any kind of service to the story in the movie. No, but, you know, I think adding in the... Detail of Dumbledore saying that he kept the pain from him when Harry's asking about why he wasn't given the information. Yeah. Dumbledore's like, well, I, I kept it from you to spare you pain because I, I don't like seeing you in pain, contrary to all of Harry's school years. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, he says he, he didn't want to see him in pain. Well, I think he didn't want to add to the pain that he already had. Yeah. And now he has more. So why not? Just... And that's why he says this was his mistake. At least in the Partly, book. Partly, yeah. And he says that in the book, yeah. He doesn't really say that in the movie. But to say it the way he said it, when Harry's just like, why? Why would you do all of that? And for Dumbledore to be like the same reason why you tried to save Sirius and your friends tried to save you. Like, that doesn't explain anything. All I have is Richard Harris in my head saying, love, Harry love right (laughs) it's just the vaguest explanation yeah that all it really does is raise more questions and when you look at the fact that the source material had 15 more pages yes of explanation here this is definitely a point that needed to be expanded on and they were like we're getting close to two hours might as well cut it could have at least montaged this scene for us or something but anyway This is where we decided to cut this off because it kind of does line up here. And then there's just so much more to talk about that didn't get touched to that we wanted to make sure the second half of this was long enough as well. So no real new characters to talk about. We can just move on to our Potter pondering. Yeah. So our Potter pondering this week is what are your thoughts on the movie's less detailed version of why Dumbledore was ignoring Harry for his entire fifth year? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. 
Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to sharing them. We don't have a sorting hat story this week, but we do have a wizarding word. Wizardly World of Kent will be happening in Kent, Ohio on July 28th and 29th. This is an open event. I don't believe you need a ticket. You can go and there are shops with local vendors with Potter-related merch. They usually do some sort of costume contest, which Swish and Flick will be judging again this year. I will be there at the Swish and Flick booth helping out (laughs) Sister Podcast with anything that they need help with. And I'm probably going to stop by just to weasel in a few mentions of for fuck's sake at the same time well since you said weasel i do believe that i'm going to try to convince my husband to put our little weasley baby into a weasley jumper and enter him into the costume contest so if you guys are in the area or can get to the general area it's just outside of cleveland where we are you should come and say hi to us and swish and flick If you do want to share your Sorting Hat story, let us know your house Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can email them to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com or message them over any of our social media accounts. This week's trivia question is, where does Dumbledore initially hear the prophecy? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag SeerSibyl will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and Twitter at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com, We'll get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. We have a bit of a backlog on episodes, but we hope to get caught up this summer. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like for Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, virtual hangouts, and more. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For Fox Sake. Sake.